Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. And good morning. Welcome to this edition of Healthy Matters. As we mentioned earlier this morning, if you were tuning in, it's an open line show today. Good morning to you, Dr. Hilden. Good morning, Danny. It's a nice morning. It's a beautiful morning now. Yes. It's been a nice weekend of sun and here up in the upper Midwest. I know a lot of listeners are listening elsewhere, but it's beautiful here. They uh, do on Radio.com all over the world, as a matter of fact. Indeed. Well, maybe not all over the world, but certainly uh, in some cases. I'm not sure if uh, if this works in Europe. I bet but... it does. I, one time we got a caller from South Africa. I still remember that. There was somebody <laughs> listening true. to the show in South that's, Africa. And I thought, that's wow, that's, you're, you're, that's the loyal Minnesotan, I think, that was listening from afar. Well, wherever you uh, are listening, and if you have any kind of a general health question for Dr. Hilden, by all means, call it in. Or text it in. It's the same number, and that number is six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. We already, as you can see, doctor, have a bunch of uh, text messages, uh, and we do have cleared the line. So if you want to chat with the doctor, by all means, call in your question, or as I said, send a text. I'm sure you're getting a lot of questions about the coronavirus. I am. I am getting a lot of questions, and I just I wish I had more information yeah. for people about it. We talk about it at the hospital. Oh, I'm, some people talk about it every day if that's their job. But we have a leadership uh, meeting, if you will, where they give the updates on what's going on. It's got a name now, whatever you think of that. It's called COVID-19. That is the name of the coronavirus. And I, I've that's a little side story. But in the past, a lot of these viruses are named by where they're first found. Hmm. And that seems to be... First of all, that's probably not a good way to go because then you think that, well, if I'm not there, I'm not going to get right. it. Like the MERS virus was Middle East Respiratory Syndrome and SARS was, I can't even remember what SARS was, Southeast Asia Respiratory Syndrome. Mm-hmm. Even swine flu, it, it was not about pigs. And so, but but if we name it something then about a place or a thing like that, then it uh, it sort of makes us... Um, gives us the wrong impression because MERS wasn't just restricted to the Middle East. So COVID stands for Coronavirus Disease 19 because it started in 2019. I think it probably took a committee of people to come up up with that name. They voted. Yeah. Anyway, the virus is, um, it's the real deal, this virus. It is a a dangerous virus to those who are infected. But, uh, But right now, I think there's not a real... There's probably not much benefit for us all to overreact. I think what we need, at least here, we need to um, just let the public health officials kind of keep us informed. They've been doing a good job with that. It's certainly you wouldn't want to go to the uh, Hubei province um, where the city of uh, Wuhan is in China. You wouldn't want to do that. Um, But uh, I think that we need to just, um, at least from our perspective, we need to take common sense precautions here at home. Um, washing your hands frequently, 
Um, don't go out if you're sick or if you have a fever and uh, not get not get overly concerned about this particular one. That being said, it's the real deal. Um, there, there are lots of cases, and it is passed from human to human. This week they did something in China for whatever reason. I don't think we're ever going to really know why they do sure. some things. Um, but they, they, they expanded the definition of who has it. And so the number of cases just went up by thousands. That wasn't because the illness got worse. It's because they decided to just um, use, a, I think, a doctor's opinion or something. If somebody has a fever and a cold, they got it. And so suddenly it was just the way you define something can make it much seem much more much more likely. When you look at how, how virulent is it or how, how sick do people get and how many die of it, we have to keep in mind that it's tragic that a couple thousand people have died of this virus, but tens of thousands, just tens and tens and tens of thousands have got the virus and didn't. So they get a, like, like we might say, the flu. You know, you, you, most people who get it get ill for a few days and then get better. This one happens to have a, a, a kind of news-making way of, of, of making people sick, though. I don't want to minimize the virus. It's the real thing. I mean, it, it really does cause illness. Uh, and and needs to be contained because if it does get out throughout the whole world, it's going to be a mess. But um, for the time being, I'm optimistic. I'm I'm hopeful that uh, it might act like every other seasonal virus. There's there's different patterns of disease. A seasonal virus is worse in the winter and wanes in the springtime. And in some ways, this coronavirus might do the same thing. It's worse in the winter and it might get better in the spring. And by this spring or summer, it might just be more sporadic. We can't predict that, though. Some viruses don't do that seasonal um, bit. And so I guess we wait. Wash your hands. Cover your cough. And don't go to work if you're sick. Yeah. If you got a fever, stay home. You're not doing anybody any favors you know, by doing that. And, um, and that's good advice just because of flu anyway, cold and flus. So if we think of how many there have been 60,000, 70,000 cases of coronavirus in China, there have been well more than that cases of flu in this country, way more than the coronavirus. And way, way, way more people have died of the flu than have the coronavirus. So that's just just to keep it in perspective. Perspective. Mm-hmm. 651-989-9226 is the phone number and the text number. Let's go to the phones, doctor. Uh, Pat is calling from Minneapolis. Pat, uh, you're on CCO. Good morning. A friend of mine came up with an infection control concern that she has and on part of her concern, I really agreed that the long, swishy sleeves should not be in not only hospitals, but probably not nursing homes or any place medical for sure. Um, the, the sleeves should be short so that people, when they wash their hands and above the wrist, that these sleeves aren't constantly swishing um, microbes from room to room and all around the place. Um, I, I think that uh, it, there's, there's things that could be done to uh, change just what people wear from the elbows down. Okay. Pat, Pat you're right. Uh, you know, or your friend is right. Yeah. Um, what, what, what Pat's talking about makes a great deal of sense. How many surgeons walk into the operating room with long sleeves? I'll tell you, none, um, because they can't. You, uh, um, you should. I have other infection control um, friends 
who say the same thing about neckties and and white lab coats that the doctors are wearing. And yes, long sleeves because you lean over a patient or you touch a patient and it gets on on your clothing. And and then it stays there for a little while and you can pass it on to someone else. And and Pat or you or your friend is also correct that you can't wash your sleeve. And so it is it's better to have bare arms from the elbow down and then when you can do a good job washing them. And it's also true that most viruses, flu being one of them, they don't last very long on the human hand. Um, they do long enough. That's how most of us get get uh, get the flu because it's it, it's on your hands. But it doesn't last for six hours on your hands. It lasts for twenty minutes or an hour or two, and then it's gone. And so uh, it lasts much longer on most clothing. So. Uh, it, that's good advice, actually. Now, is it is it the main infection control thing we ought to be doing? No, but but what Pat brings up is probably a good idea. If you are around sick people, washing your hands is the best thing you can do, and it would be better if you could wash your wrists and your forearms as well. Hold them under the warm water and wash those as well. So that advice that your friend is giving, Pat, I think is probably a, probably sounds sol- solid. Very good. Thanks, Pat. We have to take a quick break, so folks on the line, please hang on. And we have a bunch of textures, too, we want to get answers for uh, coming up right after the break. few clouds now. We moved to 15 degrees on our way to 23. Could get one to two inches of new snow during the day tomorrow. You stay tuned to News Talk 830-WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. It's an open line show today. That means no particular topic. You drive the show with your phone calls and your text messages, and we have a bunch of both, Dr. Hilda. Uh, let's get back to it. Uh, let's see who's been waiting. John is calling from St. Paul. John, you're on with the doctor. Hi, good morning, doctor. I had a serious issue, uh, health issue last Monday. I was taken to the hospital for a couple of days. And since then, they have me on Lipitor, but I have no no information about my cholesterol level. Should I be able to know that? Yeah, you should, John. Um, uh, Lipitor, for, for other listeners, is... Uh, atorvastatin, which is the main class of medications for cholesterol. First of all, John, I'm sorry about your big medical problem that you had last week, put you in the hospital. Um, Generally, there are, um, I can say general things about the statins, of which Lipitor is one of them. I obviously can't get in specific about yours. The quick answer to your question is, yes, they can draw your cholesterol levels. They probably did. If you were there for a heart problem, they probably did. So you can call your doctor and they can look up those records and find that out for you. Cholesterol medicines are highly, highly effective for the right people. And we've swung the pendulum just a little bit on who ought to be taking these statin medications. When they were first invented, there was simply nothing else on the market that came close to being as good as they were at lowering cholesterol. So everybody was on them. Then we realized they're not for everybody because some people get side effects. And then for others, um, we were maybe being a little too aggressive. So now we're, we've swung back to a, a certain groups should be on them. Uh, if you have diabetes, you should probably be on a statin. If you have had heart disease, in other words, a heart attack or blocked coronary arteries, you almost certainly will benefit from taking the statin regardless of what your cholesterol numbers are. The other people that should be on them are those with lots and lots of risk factors for heart disease. And um, things, you have to have a lot of them. Like you have way high blood pressure, you're way overweight, you smoke, you had early family history. If you have a lot of those, you should probably be on it. And then if your numbers are sky high, 
you should probably be on them. Many of these things that I've just mentioned, though, we don't even measure the numbers hardly anymore. It used to be we treated to a goal number. We measured your cholesterol numbers. We gave you a statin until the number got below the goal. That is a little obsolete now, and many people, for instance, people with heart disease, I don't care what your numbers are. You need to be on a statin. Um, it doesn't matter, uh, and that's how, how helpful they are. And for other people, if you're relatively low risk for heart disease, those people should get their cholesterol numbers checked, and if, if they're not sky high, they maybe don't need to be on one at all. So it's a little bit more nuanced than it, would, than it used to be. So for you, John, you can call your primary doctor and say, hey, I was in the hospital. Can you look and see what my cholesterol numbers were? They should be able to at least get you that. You know what I like is the my chart deal. Because yeah, my chart can, is a great thing. You can really, after any particular test, you can see the results. Yeah, and if you were, John, that's a good point for John, Denny. My chart is the, it's a brand name um, from the Epic Company, which in Minnesota, most every healthcare system of any size, if not all, with the exception of the VA, uses Epic. That's based out of They're all tied in. They're all tied in. My chart is the method for getting into your own medical records, and you can look up your own blood tests. So if you're not on my chart, everybody listening, I recommend you do that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go back to the phones, and we'll grab some text messages. Dennis is calling from West St. Paul. Dennis, good morning. Good morning. What can we do for you? Uh, I had uh, uh, got diagnosed with the cirrhosis of the liver because I drank a lot. Uh-huh. That was back in 2000. In 2003, I quit drinking I wasn't taking any drugs, drinking or anything for like two, three years. I'm wondering if that would have helped that go away or or what? Yeah, great questions, Dennis. Seriously, good questions. And first comment of all is congratulations on no more drinking. You haven't had any alcohol for ages, and that's a, a terrific thing because people who drink too much, uh, other listeners should know that's not like a character flaw or something. It's a medical problem, and they it's hard. And it's exceptionally hard. And so that's great work for you, Dennis. The deal on liver disease is this. Livers are, if the disease is not terribly advanced, uh, your liver has a great ability to heal itself. And uh, it'll, like, regrow. Unlike your kidneys or your heart, if they're damaged, that's it. Um, They don't, like, regrow very well. Your liver does. Your liver will uh, will heal itself if it's not an advanced disease. So for people who might be drinking a little bit too much now but have not got to the point of advanced liver disease, stopping drinking for two weeks is good. Stopping for a month is better. Stopping permanently is even better because your liver will heal itself, and you can live a normal lifespan. Now, you mentioned, um, Dennis, that you have cirrhosis. Cirrhosis is a little different story. That is where your liver has gotten hard and lumpy, and that is an irreversible process. So um, stopping drinking is still exceptionally important, but the cirrhosis will not get better. Think of your liver as a mushy piece of raw meat. That's kind of a gross thought about it, but go to the butcher shop and a kind of a red beef, you know, or or like liver that you Mm, buy in the store, like if you want to buy the actual liver. Um, that's what it should be. It should be mushy and not to put too fine a point on it, but like bloody. It's a filter. You're, like a quarter of your blood goes through your liver with every heartbeat, and it filters it out like an oil filter. Cirrhosis is your liver has turned into a hard rock. Well, you can't put blood through a hard rock, and so it, that can't be reversed. 
maybe more than you wanted to know, but the the stopping of the drinking for sure will prevent worsening of your of uh, alcohol related liver disease, but it won't reverse cirrhosis. All right, let's uh, grab a text or two. Same number, by the way, if you want to call in or text in, 651-989-9226. Here's one, just a little bit about medical training. There's a longtime listener, but who hasn't texted in before. Um, this is, uh, um, who is this? Well, they said, I'm, I'll just read it. It says, Dr. Hilden, I'm a longtime listener, first-time texter. My daughter is enrolled at the PA program at Midwestern University in Glendale, Arizona. Would like to move back to Minneapolis when done. She's doing six weeks rotations. I'm wondering about rotations even at my hospital. So what, what this texter is talking about is that a physician assistant is a great career of um, uh, health professionals. It's a master's or graduate level program where you uh, become a, a, a licensed provider of medical care. I mean, you work um, uh, semi-autonomously, but um, under the uh, you know in collaboration with physicians, and much of the care that you can get today in your clinic or your hospital or your operating room might be done by a physician assistant. And I'm a huge supporter of that because they're highly trained professionals. As for getting your rotations, the best I can suggest what what you need to do is is get clinical rotations. Is call the education office at any hospital, including HCMC. You call the chief academic officer. That's who you would call. Is there a need for more doctors of oh. any level? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, there are. Um, I have, heard, especially in primary care, the, I would say the most important job in medicine and the most difficult is primary care, the ones in the clinic. They have to know something about everything. The hours are long. The clock is always ticking, and they are the ones that will know you and form a relationship with you and help you, you know, navigate your life, as, at least as it relates to your health care. I have heard something like 40,000 short in the coming um, 10 years, something like that. Uh, one of the issues is that physicians are going into primary care less often, and, um, and uh, it's a great career path for both physicians and physician assistants mm-hmm. and nurse practitioners. So it's a team-based approach. So um, I personally would, would see a PA or a, or a nurse practitioner for sure in a clinic. Yeah. I don't think it is possible to meet our, our caregiver shortage in primary care with physicians alone. Wow. What a story. Yeah. All right. Should we grab another text? Sure. Um, here's one that says, a friend in China said COVID-19, a.k.a. coronavirus, can cause irreparable lung damage. Well, th- that friend is speculating. We just simply don't know um, uh, what the effects of coronavirus are, other than that it is a severe um, infection in those who, in many of those who get it, and it's more mild in many others. It could well cause lung damage. Um, I'm not saying that's not possible. We just don't know. Here's one uh, follow-up from last week. Somebody, um, I didn't have enough time to do all of the cardiology questions, and here is somebody is asking me to follow up on that. This one is saying, could you discuss PVCs? Mine are intense and disruptive, and cardiologists have been of minimal help. Can you give some clues for relief? That is from Gary, who lives in St. Paul, but is listening on the Internet in Florida. Hmm. First of all, Gary, thanks for listening. I'm jealous that you're in Florida. (laughs) PVCs stands for... um, premature ventricular contractions. It is an electrical problem in your heart where the lower big pumping chambers of your heart go early, hence premature. If they are scattered, they mean nothing. They don't have any, they don't have any poor prognostic indicator for your life. They don't um, portend some heart attack that's imminent. They don't, they don't mean anything. Um, many people, including me, 
get PVCs when I drink too much caffeine. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's just your heart gets a little touchy. They just come a little early. Does it feel like you've missed a yeah, beat? Yeah, sometimes you feel like you missed a beat. And usually you're not missing one, but you what happens is that one beat comes early. The next one comes on time because your heart has a great way of resetting to its pacemaker. And so the first one comes early. You don't feel that one. Then there's a little pause for the next one. The heart has time to fill up with more blood, and it squeezes a big, huge one, and you feel that. If they come occasionally, they're no problem. If you get them piled on top of each other, stacked in a row, 10 in a row, 20 in a row, 30 in a row, 60 in a row, that's a condition called ventricular tachycardia and does need to be addressed. So if you are having palpitations or skipped heartbeats or you know you're having PVCs and uh, – uh, and you're having symptoms, and it's, it's bothering you. You should have. You should see your doctor um, about uh, whether there's a more serious cause for them. The vast majority of you, they're going to just tell you, "Go home. You're going to be fine." Uh, we were talking about. Uh, you mentioned the heart. The, the show we did recently, but uh, how about eating heart healthy? Yeah, we're going. You know, so this is. Um, this is Heart Health Month. February is. We're doing a whole bunch of fun things at the hospital. You know. Here's a hospital. You can go and do Tai Chi and yoga, and they've got a Zumba class over the lunch hour. <laughs> it's all about heart health. Well, eating eating is what we're going to talk about this this week. And and um, our executive chef, who has been on the show, Antonio Sanchez, is going to be on the radio with a, a registered dietitian, Elizabeth Rosenstein, right here on WCCO with Corey Heppala's show at 9.35. You're going to want to tune in. That's tomorrow. Tomorrow to Corey's show right here on WCCO. And here, Executive Chef Antonio Sanchez and Dietitian Elizabeth Rosenstein talk about um, food um, for Heart Month. Uh, they're also going to host a cooking class this Thursday as part of our, our Heart Month at noon. For more information about all of our heart events, go to hennepinhealthcare.org slash heart month. And he's a great chef. Oh, he's a great chef. I love this guy. He made this Puerto Rican lunch for our cafeteria the other day, and I'm thinking, dang, I can't believe it. This is a hospital cafeteria, and it, had, it was fantastic. I want to put in overtime. Oh, it was great. <laughs> we have to take a break, Doctor. Let's uh, remind our listeners we have another half hour of the show to go. If you want to call in your question, that's fine, or send a text, same number, 651-989-9226. We'll have a look at that forecast coming up. And we are back to more Healthy Matters. This is an open line show today, not any particular topic. Uh, just your phone calls and text messages the rest of the way. 651-989-9226 is how you contact us. Uh, Beverly has been waiting there in uh, Egan, I believe, to ask a uh, question. Beverly, you're on CCO. Good morning. I'm um, The former text that you responded to may have answered my question, uh, which was, I'd like more detail on coronavirus. I, didn't, I don't know if it's... Um, Respiratory-related or stomach-related, uh, I guess I've always heard the fever was involved. Yeah, that's a good, good questions, Beverly. What we know about it, first of all, coronavirus is, we've known about that name for decades. Coronavirus is a family of viruses that causes respiratory illnesses. Its primary thing is like a really bad cold. So it would be, um, you would get a, or think of influenza. It's most probably similar to that. Um, it, is that you get a fever and malaise and a cough and you just feel crummy like a really, really, really bad cold. So it's a respiratory virus. Um, coronavirus, although we've known about it for all these years, this is what we call a novel coronavirus. In other words, they have strains, different sub-strains of the virus. So 
if you remember the SARS virus a few years ago or the MERS virus a few years ago, those were also coronaviruses in the coronavirus family. This one's just new. And when there's a new virus floating around, we, nobody's got immunity to it, and so everybody's getting sick from it. It passes readily um, from person to person. We know that. Um, it, the, the, the question that is unknown is, is how vir- virulent is it? In other words, how serious is it? it is the, the, and how, how many people die of it? So we hear about these deaths, but keep in mind that the number of deaths relative to the number of people who are getting sick with coronavirus is quite small. In other words... Probably, and these numbers, I'm making them up, but probably 95 to 98 percent of people who get coronavirus get better. It's just 2 percent are getting ill. That's around what the flu does. Mm-hmm. So, so it's just that it's new. The human species isn't immune to it, and it's passing like wildfire. And the other thing is that it is, um, you know, it's the age of international travel. So this is probably something that... Um, we wouldn't have known about um, you know, back in the Middle Ages. It would have been confined to one area, but now we're able to bring it um, around um, to other people. So I do have to say, though, we just simply don't know if it's going to act like every other virus or if it's going to be some kind of weird thing. We really don't have any of that information. We do know that if it were to spread worldwide, that would be kind of bad. Uh, it does It does seem to spread rather readily. That seems to be... Uh, uh, one thing that we do know, it's a little difficult to get a lot of information out of China, I think. So that's been a little yeah. bit um, challenging. Um, here's one that says, um, from the text line on the same topic, um, can this new virus survive on products coming over from China? Do they know that for sure? Um, no, we don't know anything for sure. It's highly unlikely. There's The virus um, that can survive for days and days and days on inanimate objects is not yet really uh, a thing. I mean, there might be some. But viruses can, including the flu virus, can last for many hours or even a day uh, on inanimate objects. But I think it's um, – of all the things I would worry about with coronavirus, this is exactly, like, not one of them. I wouldn't okay. worry about things that you're buying. I think that would be exceptionally low risk. Okay. Back to the phones we go. Kurt's calling from St. Francis, I believe. Kurt, you're on with the doctor. Hi. Uh, my physique says that I should do sit-ups, but I have a belly button uh, hernia. Uh, should I be doing any sit-ups before I go in and get it diagnosed and taken care of? Well, Kurt, does it does the hernia get stuck? I mean, does it bulge out and then stay bulged out, or does it go back nope. in? Nope. Yeah, it goes back in. So what Kurt's talking about no. is, um, say again? Again. I'm sorry. Go ahead. We're having trouble. Does it go back in, Kurt? No. It does not. Oh, it stays out. So I would have that looked at then. A hernia is a defect in your muscle wall of your abdomen, and if it's around the belly button, it's called a periumbilical um, hernia. And there's literally just skin and soft tissue covering your intestinal cavity. The, the muscle layer has a little defect, probably just a little hole. Those holes can be small, size of a grape, or they can be huge, size of a grapefruit. And so... Um, if your intestines push through there, they just kind of bulge out. That in and of itself is not dangerous. But if they get stuck out there, the blood supply to your intestines can get cut off, and that's dangerous. So what I say is if you can take your finger and push in the bulge, just literally push it back into your belly, you're doing, then you're, that's less dangerous. 
The yours isn't going back in, and the pressure of doing sit-ups, frankly, is going to make that worse, probably. So in your specific case, Kurt, I would go get the hernia fixed by a surgeon before I did a lot of crunches or other abdominal work. That's to, it's hard to say for an individual, but that's, sure. I think, my main recommendation. All right. Speaking of viruses, there's a All question right. about the flu. All right, here's from the text line. Can you comment on the flu? Our family is on, is on round two. First time was mid-December. This time influenza A, and we had our shot. Mine went right to pneumonia in 24 hours. The kids still just have flu. Yeah, we're um, influenza this year is the weirdest year. The, um, it started out with influenza B, which is not usual, and it's hitting children harder. This is the worst year for influenza for children in a decade. So it's really common in kids. And now we're seeing sort of a second wave. The texture is correct. The, now it seems to be more influenza A, which is like the opposite of most years. Usually we're starting to see B later in the year. doesn't matter if it's A or B to you, though. You feel like crud. Yeah. And so that's not a um, – that it's really miserable. Uh, the shot is the influenza vaccine is pretty darn good, but it doesn't prevent all of them. What it t- does do is it reduces your risk for getting it, doesn't eliminate it, but reduces your risk. And it also makes them a little less severe. So as crummy as you feel, you probably would have felt even worse had you not got your flu shots. Uh, it does lead to pneumonia. I, I would The one thing about the texture is that it usually does not lead to pneumonia, pneumonia within 24 hours. That would be highly unlikely, um, more likely a week or two later. But... That also doesn't really matter. You, you don't feel well, so it doesn't matter what we call it, actually. So for people with flu, stay home, cover your cough, wash your hands like diligently, get an alcohol gel, wipe down the surfaces of your house because the flu virus does survive on door handles and phones and computers for many hours, um, not weeks, but many hours. So wipe everything down. Um, don't cough or sneeze on each other. Stay home. Um, from school or work. The only reason you need to go into the hospital or the doctor is if you have, if you're a young child, an older adult, or uh, you're, it's lasting more than several days. If you're, if a week or two or three later you're still unwell, you should certainly be seen. Or you should also go to the doctor if you have um, chronic medical problems like cancer. All right, back to the phones we go. Mary is calling in from Stillwater. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. What can we do for you? I have a lot of bladder infections, and my urologist suggests I get a permanent catheter. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, hi, Mary. Thank you for your call. Um, It is possible, particularly in women, although men too, at least men of a certain age, that you can get recurrent, repeated urinary infections. The catheter situation is, is a little bit more invasive step. They can put it through your, you know, your skin of your lower abdomen and it goes right in there. It will probably eliminate the bladder infections you're getting now, but I would make sure that you are, um, what, what do I want to say? That you're getting all opinions. I would see an infectious disease specialist, um, not just your urologist. I don't, um, you the bladder catheter is one treatment for recurrent infections, and the urologist is indeed the person who would put it in. But I would go see an infectious disease specialist, not the person who puts in the catheter, and see what he or she thinks. Uh, every big healthcare system has an infectious disease doctor. Um, just ask your primary doctor for a referral or call them yourself to an infectious disease doctor and see what they say. All right, before we grab uh, more text messages, let's uh, let's go to another Mary, this one calling from uh, Minneapolis. 
Uh, good morning, Mary. Oh, good morning. Um, yes, my sister thought she had the flu, and uh, she went to the doctor. They did a chest X-ray. She had a CT scan. She had a biopsy, and now she has found out that she has a very large, more than 10-centimeter um, uh, thy- thymoma in her chest that's impacting her heart and her lung. And I wondered if you could talk about how that, uh, what that is, how it develops, yeah. of the surgery and recovery. Yeah, um, thanks for your call, Mary. Your thymus is a gland, that, or it's, it's tissue that sits in the front part of your chest. Um, in many of us, it sort of uh, degenerates or kind of gets smaller as we get older. Um, and uh, it is um, one that is well outside my area of expertise. But a thymoma is a tumor of your thyroid tissue. Or, sorry, not your thyroid, your thymus tissue in your anterior chest. And this one would need to be surgically fixed. Um, I can't imagine that there's any other treatment that could fix um, that because it's going to start pressing on all the things in your chest. Um, uh, Your thyroid's in there. Your heart's in there. Your lungs are in there. It probably wouldn't affect your blood vessels because they're in the back of your chest. But uh, I would see a, a, a thoracic surgical specialist. Now, what I, I, I mean very specifically, you don't go just to anybody who does any kind of surgeries. You need a, a thoracic surgery specialist, and most big healthcare systems have those as well. Uh, I can't give you a much advice about the recovery and all that. The good news is that it's very superficial. Your thymus is just under the chest wall in the front. It's not like they have to dig around deep in there. It's quite superficial. So I think the surgery itself isn't your big um, uh, worry. I think uh, uh, I would look to s- ask that surgeon about the recovery times and the like. It would. It's. It's not a minor procedure because it's in your chest, but it's. It, it's not like open heart surgery. I wish I could tell you more, Mary, but it, it's a little beyond my area of, of expertise to give surgical advice on a on a rare tumor. That's relatively rare, but um, she should do okay. I think that that's a surgery that is relatively um, straightforward, at least for the surgeon. All right. Good. Uh, we need to take a break. If you uh, thanks, Mary. Uh, there's a line open if you want to call in your general health question, 651-989-9226. Keep in mind that is the same number to ask your text question, 651-989-9226. There's a few clouds out there. North winds at 4 now. We are currently here in the Twin Cities at 15 degrees, heading to near 23. You stay tuned to News Talk A3OWCCO. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. This is an open line show today. What does that mean? Your phone calls and text messages. Your general health questions for Dr. David Hilden. As you can see, doctor, we have uh, both phone calls and text messages. We'll try to get as many as we can before the time runs out. Uh, back to the phones. Let's go. Uh, Craig is calling from Hastings. Craig, you're on with the doctor. Okay. Oh, good morning. How are you? I'm good, Craig. You turn your radio down. We'll be even better. Oh, thank you. All right. Yes, I have a question. I have two sons. One's 32, one is 24, and they're both type 1 diabetics. They both became type 1 diabetics when they were five years old. It was right before they started kindergarten. There was never any diabetes in my whole entire family for generations or my wife's for generations. They both got a series of shots before they started kindergarten. I don't know if they still do that because it's been a long time now. But anyway, I guess my question is, I had heard that they, it was about five years ago that they had started putting pancreases in people and they were curing them. It was somewhere over in Europe. It was about five years ago. 
And now I've heard nothing since about it. I've tried to look it up and find it, and I was wondering if you had heard anything about that. Yeah, those are great questions, Craig. Um, the, the genetic relationship in type 1, formerly known as uh, juvenile diabetes, is not very strong. So the fact that both got it um, is, is not um, – there's, there's some genetic component, but frankly, um, it, it, is, it is not uncommon at all for one family member to have type 1 diabetes and nobody else so it's not like it's a real strong genetic relationship. Um, so that that's that's interesting that they both have it. Not unheard of, obviously. The pancreas is still an organ that can be transplanted. They do it right here in Minnesota at the university. Uh, it is not done commonly for this situation, though. Um, uh, it, it's a bigger procedure. Your pancreas is sort of intimately connected around your intestines in the middle back of your abdomen, sort of in the back. And it's not so simple. It's um, uh, it's not. It, it's uh, but it's done. It is not commonly done for um, just the indication of diabetes, uh, because other treatments are effective. Your your pancreas has a few functions. You have both the endocrine and the exocrine functions of your pancreas. The endocrine function is to simply make insulin, and that can be done with shots. And since insulin these days is very um, effective um, and, and mimics the body's natural insulin quite well, you would be probably pretty hesitant to put in pancreases just because someone has type 1 diabetes. Um, the exocrine um, is another function of your pancreas, and that is the digestive enzymes and the like that, that, that uh, help you digest your food. That has nothing to do with diabetes, and if you're putting a new pancreas in, you're also messing with that function. So it's just not done very often uh, for um, straightforward diabetes. But you're right. They still do pancreas transplants. Um, uh, I heard someone was um, – I think the, the future um, seems to be on very high-tech um, insulin pumps there, in our local community here in Minnesota, I can't remember which of our um, our really strong medical technology companies um, here in town make these insulin pumps. It might be Medtronic. I'm not sure. They're so smart. They're like little brains um, that measure your blood sugar, and they automatically adjust how much insulin they get, and they sit underneath your clothing, a small little device, and they're awesome. So people can make all the settings, and so you can kind of approximate the functions of your pancreas with some technology that you wear. I think that might be more of the future than transplant for that. For all right. Thank you, Craig. Pancreas. Back to the text line. Let's do that. What's the difference between a bacterial infection and a viral infection? I understand one can be treated with the antibiotics and the other cannot. That is 100% accurate. Um, what, what we often say in medicine, the bugs that cause us problems, the microorganisms are of a variety of uh, families. You can have fungus or molds. You can have bacteria, which are little cellular objects that have um, a little bit more complicated structure to them. Or you can have viruses, which are like fragmented little teeny little things that are even smaller than bacteria. And uh, they all can cause disease in different ways. Uh, some of them, uh, just because something's a bacteria or a virus doesn't mean it's more serious or not serious. For instance, staph, you might have heard of a staph infection. That is a bacteria that can cause very, very serious disease. But then you've also heard of influenza. That is a virus that can cause very serious, serious disease. HIV is a virus. 
um, E. coli is a bacteria. So they're all they're just different classes of microscopic organizations organisms, all that can cause diseases of various severity. Antibiotics are typically when we use that term, we usually mean antibacterials. And an, an antibiotic will not cure a viral infection. That being said, there are antiviral medications as well. Um, maybe not quite as many of them, but the, for instance, HIV medicines are antiviral medicines. Tamiflu or Oseltamivir for influenza is an antiviral medicine. But for the in the general terms, if you have bronchitis or you have an ear infection or you have um, a sore throat, those are those are generally viral infections, and we don't have antibacterial antibiotics for those types of infections. Usually, we prescribe too many antibiotics um, in general. All right, here's another one that just came in. What do you consider a fever? The texter says, "My dad's oncologist said it's 100.5 or greater. So if I have a fever of 99.9, is it okay to go to work and interact in the public?" Thanks. That's an interesting question because there's no – it's not like a light switch. It's either you, you have a fever or you don't. It's all on a continuum. The normal that people talk about of 98.6, that's just a – you know, that is um, – it's what most people are. We're roughly around that. Um, we, it, it's just when do you want to get concerned? I would be a little more concerned in an older adult with a temperature of 99.9 than I would with a 22-year-old with a temperature of 99.9. It's just you have to put it all in context. So um, in medicine, we often use 38 degrees Celsius as a fever, which is about 101.3, I think. I think in Celsius. So 38 is we, oh, goodness, they have a, they have a fever because it's 38. Um, uh, but... It, it, you have to put it in context. If your temperature is 99.9 or 100, you have a low-grade elevated temperature. And if you are feeling sick, like with a cough and a 99.9 temperature, I'd stay away. Got to read this last text before we go. A texter says, I met Dr. John Hallberg at our prostate support. He spoke highly of you. Uh, what do you think of metformin for cancer prevention? It's uh, evolving. Um, first of all, John Hallberg is a good friend of mine. Many of you maybe know him from the airwaves on other stations, but John's a very ah. good friend of mine, and he and I chat all the time. He's a lovely person and a great, great, great doctor. Um, metformin for cancer prevention is sort of in the infancy stages. Mm. I don't recommend it yet, but stay tuned for more research on that. I know we're just about out of time, but uh, uh, next week's show is going to be a busy one, I think. Yeah, we're going to talk about ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. I don't think we've ever done a show on that. We're going to have Sam Mazur on here. He's a neurologist. It's going to be a great show to talk about Lou Gehrig's disease. All right, very good. And if you need a primary care doc for starters? Yeah, check us out at hennepinhealthcare.org, hennepinhealthcare.org, or you can always call us up at 612-873-MYMD. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 